0: Welcome to Wisdom Exchange TV, where we interview women leaders internationally who've had a social impact in their communities and beyond. I'm Suzanne F. Stevens, Conscious Contribution Cultivator for the UMeWe Social Impact Group and your host. In each episode, we'll provide actionable conscious contribution initiatives to create a social impact to empower you, your organization, and your community. So lots of learning and inspiration, all to make your contribution count. We invite you to join the conversation and post questions on our guest's exclusive Wisdom Exchange TV page. Welcome to our guest this week. Jerry Fabe, founder and executive director, Upendo Women's Foundation, a grassroots nonprofit creating a more dignified, humane and sustainable world for girls through advocacy, reproductive health awareness, education and sustainable hygiene solutions because she believes no girl should go without. And I would concur. Women and girls discover their potential and self-value, are equal participants and agents of social change, and are given opportunities to thrive, grow and contribute to their communities while ensuring quality, sustainable feminine hygiene. It is an absolute pleasure to have you with us here today, Jerry. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Suzanne. Thank you for having me.
0: What was the catalyst for you to start this organization?
1: The reason why I started the organization is as a result of just knowing and understanding that I, too, experienced this kind of problem uh, where girls were missing school because of lack of feminine hygiene products. I never missed school, but I thought about the challenges that I I was going through as a young lady. And the thought that it was still going on and it was increasing, it wasn't getting better, it was getting worse. That I I just could not shake the idea of just sitting back, folding my hands and doing nothing about it. I needed to make sure that every girl can be able to uh, go to school. They don't have to miss out on school. And I know the importance of education and without an education, their lives will not move forward. Without the education of a girl, the, the community in, uh, as a whole, uh, the country will not really move forward because the woman, uh, especially in Africa, uh, the woman is the backbone of the community.
0: And I think that's really important to emphasize a couple things there. One, I know you started this in Kenya You now live in California, so you are referring to creating your initiative in various countries in Kenya, correct?
1: Well, uh, the initiative, actually, when we founded it, uh, we founded it here in the U.S., Uh, but the first uh, distribution we did, uh, the the first country we focused on was Kenya, Charity Big Greens at Home. And so, but my heart knew very well that it was, uh, I, I wanted to focus on Africa as a whole, but in order to do that, I needed to understand how is it in my own country, where I come from, how are they dealing with it? What are, what are the numbers? What are the statistics? And so when I take that, how can I take what I'm doing in Kenya and replicate that in other countries within the, uh, the continent of Africa?
0: Which is great, so let's expand on that. So what steps mm-hmm. did you take to start this social initiative?
1: Rolled it out as a nonprofit organization the whole idea back then was just to raise funds make sure that we provide sustainable products that will uh, you know stay longer for the girl it, it, you, you know very well nonprofit you're relying on uh, the support of others you're relying on whatever people decide to give to you the issue of menses lack of feminine hygiene products that's a monthly expense and so i wanted to make sure that the product we are providing the girls will sustain them longer. If I can take care of one girl and know, you know, for four years, three to four years, I don't have to go back to the same girl and think about providing for them, then we can be able to touch many more girls instead of just one girl and thinking about the, about the budget of just providing for that one girl every year. So the whole idea about sustainability was a big, big factor for
0: me. And you're right about the nonprofit and re- relying mm-hmm. on others' generosity. And I talk a lot about that actually in my, my book because if we can build it into our businesses or our nonprofits, as either a social enterprise or build the mechanism where it feeds itself. So, how are you actually doing that? Right. As of now,
1: what we're doing is uh, making sure that uh, we create mini factories. Uh, instead of just thinking of how we can you know, pr- help those who can't, but how can we teach them how to fish? That's the whole uh, uh, idea behind it, because I can continue being the vocal spokesperson for the people, but for how long? But how can I teach them how they can equip themselves so that they don't have to rely on me all the time? And then in, also in return, for those mini factories how can we empower those women to have job opportunities so they have an income for themselves they can trade amongst themselves we're teaching them about business how you know how they can sustain themselves with a product which they really need but in, in that is more affordable so taking taking what we have the, uh, the product that we have designed here and teaching them how to make it there locally and in return as a nonprofit instead of me thinking how am i going to get the products from the us to africa how about how about how can i get the women in africa to make the products the cost of what i'm using to ship this cargo is enough to create a job opportunity for somebody so we don't have enough volunteers to be able to make products to sustain millions and if one country alone in kenya alone I was looking about over 3 million girls missing school. In South Africa, you have over 7 million girls missing school. Those are two nations with 10 million girls. Think about the rest of the continent. How many volunteers can we really have to make these products for us? How about how can we switch it around and create a sustainable product that is affordable that they themselves can make and then be able to sell amongst themselves and be able to utilize a skill that they can pass on generation to generation? Also, as a nonprofit and other nonprofits that would love to do what we do, how about they can uh, buy the what they want to donate to the poor of the poorest? They can buy from these mini factories or mini franchises, and then you know uh, distribute to the girls that they need to support. So really, it's creating a, a way of not just a handout; it's gifting it forward today.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. I talk a lot about creating opportunity, not dependency and Mm -hmm. helping and not hurting. And we know that by providing income provides the most dignity for a a woman if she has her own income. So how many people are actually producing and I assume sewing? Are they sewing Mm -hmm. these feminine Mm -hmm. hygiene? Uh, How many women are actually sewing these feminine hygiene solutions in Africa?
1: Well, so far in Kenya, we have a team of uh, three women who are doing that because depending on the uh, donations that we receive and uh, how much money we are able to raise, we have three women who are making them for us. Uh, we have a team of women here in America who are also making for us at least eight of them who are making for us. We are now setting up also in South Africa where we you know, most of these franchises will have between Ten to twelve women. That's that's the goal of uh, having them have a sustainable, you know, uh, factory working, so that we can be able to meet the hundreds and thousands of girls. So it's it, the the franchise itself is mostly at least ten women working part time, not full time, part time. So then that that way they can be able to do other things as um, if they have other responsibilities, and uh, ten at a time, but can accommodate 20, so they can shift, so we can create, even if this 10 are working in the morning, the other 10 can work in the afternoon. That way we're spreading out the income. It's not just one person taking it all for themselves. And it really helps create a better community for the women because nobody's feeling left behind. We're still continuing, fund. We, are, we are working on funding to get more and more of this little franchises opened up in different places in Africa it also varies each country is different based on you know uh, the economy of the country some some countries the the labor can be a little bit higher than the other based you know uh, based on the inflation so but so far as we ask as we are speaking right now we have a team of at least let's say 10 to 11 women in total both in africa and here but we also do have a manufacturer that we've been working with in egypt who can mass produce the products for us Who's willing to work with us so that we can take this uh, project even into refugee camps where the women can learn how to make the products themselves?
0: This episode is sponsored by Make Your Contribution Count for You, Me, We, a
1: book written by Suzanne F. Stevens. It's time to act. Let this book be your guide to having a sustainable social impact while living your most meaningful life. Thanks for listening. Now back to our show.
0: There's a few things seeming to go on here, and, and I'm going to attempt to try to summarize what I think I'm hearing.
1: Sure.
0: You started as a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. You recognize the fact that that's not necessarily the sustainable solution moving forward and want to empower women locally to produce product because then they can make an income. So you have started to shift to, to allow more women in Africa to actually produce the products, however, the non-, the
1: non the nonprofit still exists,
0: right? So yes. there is still the nonprofit. However, so the I mean, you, it is it's still a nonprofit, but mm-hmm. you're you're looking at also providing women with income potential. So you're still doing the fundraising from the sounds of it, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Correct. And you are doing some production in the United States still, mm-hmm. correct. But you are trying to get more production in Africa. Okay. So, and and the Egyptian uh, possible partner that you may, they would be providing it to uh, refugee camps. So you've got a lot of moving parts happening here. What I'm curious about is who is actually paying? So let's say women in Africa are actually producing these products. Who is paying for those products? Are the girls actually paying for them?
1: Okay, so the way we've set it up is we we, we are building partnerships uh, where we come together with other nonprofits. Like, for instance, right now, there's one partner we're working together to, to start the same initiative in Uganda. So we come together and we set up like micro uh, the mini factory, get them started, all the resources, the raw materials, what they need to get the factory started. We raise funds for that. And then once we know it can... You know, it can sustain itself. We hand it over to the women, so it becomes their project. It's not ours to keep. Um, the The factory in Egypt is not um, the factory in Egypt already produces pads. If we if we have uh, sponsors who are giving us a big chunk of change and saying we want to sponsor ten thousand girls, so I have a factory that mass produces. They 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 focus on making pads, uh, washable reusable pads. So we can order from them directly the huge uh, pallets and get them distributed to the girls with the for-profit nonprofit, which is Upendo. Then, uh, for-profit, the social enterprises is under a, a different umbrella, which now we we which can bring in the funds so that the sponsors who want to give towards social responsibility. Uh, can be able to provide those those funds for us to start the mini factories. And so those mini factories, we want it to be such that we set it up such that they can get their jobs, will be able to pay for themselves when they sell the products and um, money that can be raised a portion of the profit that is raised from that can go back to nonprofit to support those who cannot really afford to buy the funds themselves. So it's another way of funding the nonprofit you know, to still support the poorest of the poorest because there are people who really, really cannot afford, you know, their income is limited. But those who can afford or they can, they're looking for an affordable product, then the social inter- enterprise is where they can be able to go and buy products that are not as expensive as what is in the supermarket.
0: You're absolutely right. I mean, there are so many people, girls that don't go to school and that if there wasn't a nonprofit that would support it they wouldn't get the education but i also right. you know like the fact that you have the option like someone like me I would maybe want to support the social enterprise part of things and still know that income is going to somebody, but there's also an affordable solution and still helping girls go to school. Correct. I I always like to do two for one if I can. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) That's the whole idea because when when people see that their, their donation is actually more effective other than just a handout, it makes more sense. It it makes them feel like they've really changed a life. The whole idea is most of these women are not looking for a handout. They're saying, show me how to do this so that I can make money and I can feed my family.
0: A lot of people don't understand how a nonprofit works. There's administration costs. And through that administration costs, your income comes out of that as well.
1: So far on the nonprofit, I am not paid. To do what I do I do it because I'm passionate about it I have my own business that I, I work on marketing I work on I'm a mental health coach I'm also in investing I like to be as a you know business investor so I look for ways to make my own money so that I can also turn around and put that money my profits towards the nonprofit I, I strongly because it's, it takes a while for a nonprofit to pay you. It's a business like any other business. It, there's so much work to be done. So the most important people is more of the team members that I would be more concerned about, How the support system that I have to be able to have something for them. However, majority of our team members are still volunteers. They are not on salary. Everything we've been doing, especially for Pendo, has been, Purely 100% towards the nonprofit.
0: And I think this is important to identify because a lot mm-hmm. of times, similar to yourself, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have my business that I mm-hmm. make my money. I don't, I have a fund, a foundation, yes. and I make money and put it in the foundation exactly. to help educate future African women leaders. Correct. So that's, but I don't <laughs> take an admin cost or if I run an event to make money for it. It's a separate thing, but I think this is also a good model that people should entertain. That when you do mm-hmm. have your passion projects, mm-hmm. put your ink, have something else to make your income. Yes. Or, so that you can funnel through it, or make that passion project a social enterprise so that mm-hmm. you can actually make income and contribute to the community.
1: And and the social impact is, you know, uh, enterprise is what I'm building upon also. So at least that will pay me to be able to continue doing what I do because I do realize that we will always need a nonprofit arm where we will always, to you know, to distribute to the ones who can. But we also want to bring quality products, affordable products to the marketplace in Africa so people can feel, you know, Give, give the women back their dignity, empower the women by uh, uh, providing financially. They know, oh, I have a job. I can be able to, to take care of my family. I can be able to feed my family. So more, of, so, more distribute the profits in a way that everybody is getting what they need to s- sustain their lives. Not like the big uh, companies who are always looking at bottom line profit and taking all for, for themselves and throwing a little seed money, saying, oh, we supported this. When I look at how these big companies are making so much money out of the women, and they're giving not even a, a, a 1% of their profits towards, you know, and they say they've given, it, that doesn't make sense. How about let's take the power back. We're the women. We're the ones who use this product. What kind of product am I making for my myself? What kind of product am I making for my daughter? How will this impact me, you know, when I use it? Uh, how how are we thinking about our environment? So we want to be, really, it's taking back that part to ourselves and saying, we want to be in charge of our lives. We, and being in charge of our lives, we also want to be in charge of our economy.
0: The environment piece is an important one because these are reusable.
1: They are reusable, washable, reusable. They will last three to four years. And we know very well, one of the challenges we've had in Africa is waste management. I mean, so... If I was to uh, garner people here, rally people around and say, hey, I need you to help support, provide, you know, uh, pads, sanitary pads, I can do a huge drive and I will get tons and tons of pads, you know. People will go to the store and buy. But where are they going to throw this? I go to villages where some of these kids barely don't even have a toilet, leave alone (laughs) a dumpster, you know. So where we throw in this, they end up in our rivers, this pollution, you know, they're not set, animals will chew on these plastic materials that are wrapped in the pads, so-called pads. Some of the products that the pads are in, people don't even know how uh, the type of material that is used to create uh, our pads that we use really. So I'm more of, you know, uh, taking care of our environment. Our 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 environment is crucial. We have to protect the environment as much as we can, and we have to teach the next generation the importance of taking care of that environment.
0: These are conversations that are having we're having in the West, and we know I I, I know what you're talking about. There are so I've never seen more blue plastic bags in my life than I did in Africa, on the ground or in piles, or because mm-hmm. there's nowhere to dispose of these materials. Yes. So. Yes having a solution that does three things (laughs) and also protects the environment is is worthwhile. Now, how, how do you distribute these sanitary napkins to girls in rural areas? Who are you partnering with or who are you collaborating with on the ground in order for that to happen?
1: In every country that I will go to, I have boots on the ground. I have a coordinator who will work with the Ministry of Education We just don't randomly uh, give out pads. We'll go to the Ministry of Education, find out the schools that are mostly affected, what are the most affected areas and how can we uh, make a change. And in those schools, interview the teachers, which children, it's, it's a process. Before we get to that school, we'll have identified the exact kid who really needs the pads. So we have to work with the, the schools, we have to work with the uh, Department of Education and uh, find out the list, because they have, they have a roll call of who is who and why, and teachers most likely usually know which kid really is absent because of that issue. That's how we are able to distribute the pads. And we don't just, that we, we, one of the things I'm very, very passionate about, I will not take the pads to school and just leave them with the teacher. When we distribute, we make sure it's handed to the kid. If a kid is absent on the day of distribution, I'm sorry, but I will not leave pads behind. My first naive experience, was when I left uh, a couple of 20 kids, this lady we were doing at a group home, and she said, oh, there's some girls who are on, uh, on, you know, on a trip. They're gonna miss out. Can you leave at least? I said, how many are there, 20 of them? Oh, you don't, you don't think much, 20 only to find out that that lady ended up selling those kids. That was a lesson learned.
0: (laughs) You bring up something that I'm also um, very passionate about and talk about quite a bit in my keynotes. And I've heard the other way too, where not so much pads, but I could see that happening where a young girl receives them and then she sells them. Mm -hmm. Or where I've heard it is when tourists go give up pencils or pens to kids for school and they sell them. Mm-hmm. And I've always encouraged people to funnel what you contribute to through systems. Not every system or, is going to be honorable. We, we know that no matter where we mm-hmm. are in the world, that's not just Africa. That's everywhere. Africa. we go. Yeah. Correct. That being said, you have to do your due diligence with the process and make sure Mm -hmm. there's trustworthy people there and they're passionate about the mission, but you also have to ensure that they do get to the people that they're supposed to help. And when we arbitrarily give things away, and I think that's maybe the key here, and I'd be interested in your perspective. When we arbitrarily give something, like in this case, you arbitrarily gave it to the teacher, and Tourists arbitrarily give it to young people without any Mm -hmm. due diligence around it. Mm -hmm. And that's when we don't know if it's going to get to the people that need it the most. One of the things we've added
1: on to a second step process is we let the students know, now we're going to come back and find out how it was, how you used it. Did it help? Did you miss school? That will tell us where you took the product. So you give them a sense of accountability and they are like, whoa, so if you miss school, then there's something else going on because we know that that's not a issue. And uh, how did the products work out for you? A follow up, because we have to collect data. We have to see from the schools, did it help the students stay in school, you know? So not just randomly giving, because if if we if we give them that responsibility, the, and we tell them, we, you never know when we'll come back. The, the only thing we've, we've gone to uh, do, our follow-up, and some of the kids will, will be very honest with you, say, you know, I, I have mine, I use mine, but I share with my mother. Those are the kind of reports we get. But mm-hmm. as far as absenteeism, we've seen an improvement in, in the girls not missing school. So that's the other thing.
0: That is your key performance matrix is yes. how many girls are actually staying in school as a result okay. of handing these out. And you're being, you're able to track that. Do you have, do you have a number for our audience?
1: Off of my head, I, I I don't have the exact number, but what, what, what I've seen, uh, based on the reports we've gotten back, I I can guarantee you 90% of the girls do stay in school after that. And That accountability helps because the the teachers can see the difference. They can see the difference in the girl not missing school and thus they're not missing their homework. They're not having to make up for anything. It's not like here where you can just go on your laptop and be able to make up on your homework on the lap. In Africa, it's different. These kids in the rural places, if you miss class, you miss class. Most -hmm. of them end up dropping out of school because they cannot catch up with the rest of the kids. But once they've seen the power of that, they're the ones who will even come and ask you, when you, we have other girls, can you help them? And they see the, you know, the power of being able to continue in their education.
0: Often when you focus on one group, sometimes another group suffers. So you know, have you seen any consequences to the beneficiary by offering this opportunity?
1: On the contrary, no, not really.
0: Okay, great. What are the two most challenging hurdles to sustain your social impact?
1: Financial is one of the biggest hurdles. And uh, the other thing is accessibility to some of these areas to get the raw materials to where we need them, or even some of the raw materials that we need are not sometimes easily accessible. So those are the three things that I have encountered. And sometimes even corruption to get the products into where they need to be.
0: So what do you think needs to happen in order for those three things to be addressed?
1: Well, financially, we, we continue to just be the marketing arm. We continue to campaign for, uh, be a voice. And we love the fact, I, I see from the time I started uh, the foundation in 2013, menstrual health hygiene has become a big thing. People are catching up, they're catching on. And the more people that are talking about it, it's still it's being pushed to the front line. So it's really causing people to say, hey, i got to stop and think, and yes, I we need to do something about this. Working with government officials really can help also as, as much. Uh, it's not always guaranteed, but it can be of assistance, especially uh, in areas pertaining to corruption. When they're dealing with people who are really trying to bring social change, social enterprises, I've dealt with situations where as a nonprofit, bringing in products into the country, literally somebody knows you're a nonprofit, but they want before they can let you in to bribe them, to let the goods come in. So those are some of the challenges that I have encountered. And I'm mentally, I'm always prepared when I'm, when I'm heading to those countries. I'm, I don't go being naive, thinking, oh, it's not going to happen. Any country, I'm always aware. Just be ready. If this happens, this is what we're going to do. Gear up. And, and and preparing the team to understand that it is, those are some of the challenges that we'll encounter. Transportation, you know, the roads, some of the places can be very, very uh, challenging to get to. So, but that still does not stop us. It's really, when it comes to areas, the roads are really bad, Is planning ahead, planning for seasons. You know that the, it's not going to be... Uh, difficult to navigate in the roads especially if it's the rainy season then plan to have the materials needed in those um, factories during the dry season so that you can you can have long term inventory for the time when it's raining so it's, it's just all about planning and strategizing
0: moving forward to actually just produce the products locally and source the materials locally so because so that you don't have to deal with the import-export and you don't have to deal with anybody wanting a little bit on this corruption on the side, because I know it happens. I've been there, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been there. Uh, would that not make more of an impact and be more sustainable in itself?
1: Unfortunately, not all of the raw materials are you know, locally accessible. In order to produce quality product, because I don't want to cut corners. There is one particular material we cannot find. It's not in Africa. You have to import that no matter what. Some of the materials you can improvise, but the liner that causes the product to stay where it does not leak, you cannot find it in Africa. You have to import it. And, and, and it's the most expensive component in the uh, washable reusable pad.
0: You said you're the marketing arm. So how do you generate funds for your foundation?
1: Well, we do reach out to businesses uh, for um, as a social responsibility through uh, companies. We we have uh, the Rotary Clubs, you know, uh, we reach out to friends and family. Uh, We've never really done a major fundraiser because I found that to fundraise, you need money. You know, to do it, those events, they cost money. And to me, the math does not make sense. The amount of money to feed people so that they can give me money, I would have used that money to do something else for the girls. <laughs> so I reach out to businesses. I, I reach out to partnerships and I reach out to other organizations. I reach out for grant grants as much as we can to be able to fund the projects.
0: As I'm, I'm listening to you, I always love working and thinking, who would be a great partner for you? And there's so, so many that would be great partners. But one that just really comes to mind is schools. Mm -hmm. Schools in the West. Because so many schools really want to contribute in meaningful ways. And they like to be connected to schools internationally. Mm -hmm. But I would think if I was a student and I was helping a young girl in Kenya or Tanzania uh, go to school, they would be great advocates not only to do some of the fundraising, well, to do a lot of the fundraising, actually, because Mm -hmm. that gives them a connection and almost create a pen pal scenario. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It was just an idea that I I think schools – would be a real natural fit that people would get behind and excited about. We have
1: a, one school here in Sacramento, it's called Folsom High School. And they have participated in the project we call Global Public Service as a way of understanding what it's like you know, to serve internationally from a global perspective. And these students, every year, they adopt Open the Women's Foundation they take the initiative they will either from, uh work on marketing materials to raise funds for this uh, for the girls uh, they will look for ways to raise you know to collect donations whether it's the fabric that is used to uh, make the pads for the girls the washcloths that go into the kit underwear that goes into the kit anything pertaining to what's listed as to what is needed to create a kit for the girls so we would love to see more schools participate in, a pro, you know, in, in the project like that. We are hoping more schools can be able to enroll. There was another middle school that we worked with in 2016 and there were eighth graders. We were interviewed on Good Day Sacramento with them because they, they saw the need. They saw, wow, we can do something to make a, a, you know, a difference in somebody else's life. Uh, somebody, you know, A student just like me who's an eighth grader who's missing school, because they cannot um, access sanitary pads. And that was the most touching project because we had boys, young boys, sewing and making the products, You know, which is to show you, when you expose the young people to sit- situations and challenges that is around the world, they're more than willing and to be hands-on, to go in and not just... I tell people, it's not just about raising money. I don't always ask for money. I always want everybody to be able to contribute in the way they feel best works for them some people feel let me go buy the fabric to make the product i am more than welcome because it's as good as the money i would have still needed the cash to go buy the fabric so if you feel like fabric is what you want to buy and you're happy about it choosing the colors uh, and you know we we provide a, a, a baseline of what you can buy go for it if you want to buy washcloths go for it we have people who just see Panties, and they go buy panties for the girls. Go for that. You know, bar, soap, you know, bar, the little bar of soaps that people collect from hotels, bring them. Everybody has a different way of feeling that they are contributing. That does not mean that they did not give. They gave, you know, give, make it open such that people can be able to to do what they can according to their ability and how they feel that will fit best with their their way of giving
0: one thing I love about what you are saying is the encouraging of young boys also to participate because mm-hmm. a huge advocate that empowerment doesn't come from a, a gender it, it, or sex, it is everyone works together for empowerment and to see young boys participating in their, their, the other genders success I think is extremely mm-hmm. an important message. The other thing I just want to tap on to this, we, you and I may see this slightly differently. And I think we, we possibly do, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. The, um, I know Tanzania has really shut the door on importing products from, from foreigners, particularly new products. So for example, when you're talking about the soaps and, and, Th- this, these sorts of things, uh, a lot of countries aren't, are starting not to accept those sorts of things, and, which I'm a bit of an advocate for, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. I'm personally not an advocate for sending our stuff over to two countries, because it can take from jobs in country. So what are your thoughts on that? I love the idea of
1: sometimes closing, not but don't close all the way, because if we're going to create a product that works for your people and you don't have a certain resource, how is that going to be beneficial? You'll still have the problem will still be there. So as long as we can use, like for instance, soap, soap uh, that that we use, I recently have gotten into a position where we can now teach the women how to make soap. We don't have to bring soap from here. So that, that's something that, and soap weighs a lot when you're transporting. Mm. (laughs) So you know that can be an avenue that we create part of the social enterprise. When the women are making parts, it can be part of what they add on into the factory as to how they can create beautiful soap, you know? So I believe in that. Um, It's just a matter of sitting down and talking and discussing with, if if, if it's even like the president saying, hey, okay, I understand where you're coming from. This is taking away from our jobs, but we don't have this element the part of international trade is making sure we can be able to also trade with one another, what we don't have, that should be the key. If we can, it's like exchange of goods, basically. So I really believe in that. And, and when we, when you sit down and have a discussion with with people uh, in government, especially when I meet with the people in the department of education, the, the main, I go as higher rank to, uh, you know, the, the minister of education, or what they call them, I'm able to communicate that because they can be able to communicate to their leader and show them, this is the product. Do you have this? If you don't have this, then we're wasting time, you know, and they're able to comprehend that and see, Oh, okay, then this is something we can make room for while we uh, uh, continue to use what we have here locally.
0: And I can appreciate that. If you don't, and, and trade is is a great thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And I agree with you, and especially when you don't have the product. It's particularly with developing countries, however, it it's often we look elsewhere for the product when we can get it locally. And that's what I'm referring to. But I agree with mm-hmm. you. you. You need to, you need to assess what is, what is best for the country and for job opportunities, because sometimes they don't have the product. And I get that.
1: And, and, and for some of these countries, uh, not everybody wants to use re- washable reusable. We, we have other products which are biodegradable that we, you know, we, we're putting together uh, a, a proposal to bring in machines to be, for the women to be able to make disposable pads that are biodegradable mm-hmm. using resources that are within the country. We have identified which raw materials can be used that we can be able to create these pads that will be affordable for the women, create job opportunities, but they are also environmentally friendly. These are, you know, so it, it, we are not looking into just one solution. For instance, the menstrual cups, if, if it's a way we can bring the production, if it's something we can bring the production within the country, that we want to promote everything for the social enterprise on, my, on our end. We want to promote the products being locally made and manufactured.
0: In the West, we use tampons. Is that something that you're looking at, uh, a biodegradable product in that regard, or do you see that that's something more for mothers in the African context, or what do you think?
1: Well, we're not really looking into tampons. I would rather use pads, regular pads, um, and because the toxic shock syndrome is not always the best idea. Um, mothers in Africa, I remember I did not get to use a tampon for a while because some remote places, mothers think that that will, you know, break the virginity.
0: <laughs> which is why I'm bringing it up actually, which is why I'm you know, bringing it up it, because culturally yes. a lot of people don't understand that.
1: No, they don't. And in fact, that has been one of the biggest challenges when introducing menstrual cups because menstrual cups are great. They, they they will last longer you know it will last, last you up to 10 years so what a better way not to waste right mm. but when you show the mother and they're looking at this cup and like it's going where well? no <laughs> so so we we veer away from tampons and we want to be more like the traditional pads if we we want to respect the cultural you know beliefs that they have pertaining to, you know, we don't want to impose on anybody. We are trying to provide a solution that will just help the girls stay in
0: school. We're not trying to be fancy. <laughs> fancy, I love it. So you had said earlier on when I asked you what was the the catalyst for you starting this organization, and you mentioned, you know, that you went through you may not have been able to go to school, too, so you can appreciate it. But you were mentioning to me in a conversation we were having another reason why you started the organization, and I can't quite recall it, but I'm hoping you remember it, is you had heard the president or somebody in politics speak about the challenges of girls going to school. and
1: In, in 2013, I was watching a presidential debate for Kenya, and all the eight candidates, they were all saying, when I do get elected, I'll make sure we have sanitary pads in school. And I thought, this is not a topic we should be having as for presidential debate. And I was really frustrated. I said, something, somebody needs to do something about this. And that still small voice said, why don't you? And my my thought went back. It's like I had a flashback of my childhood. I remembered Oh my gosh, if when I was young, I hated using what I was using because I used uh, cotton wool, you know, the, the one the cotton, like it's batting. And it's you, you that cannot, it absorbs, but can still leak because there's no protection. And uh, my mom just gave me a roll and gave, told me to figure it out. So you cut it and you you pad it and you put it in your your panty, but you're walking shuffling. I had something, there are those girls who did not have anything. And then months when we could not afford, I had to use toilet paper. And I tell people here in America, it's not nothing quilted toilet paper. And so the discomfort it created and you're walking under the sunscotched land of Africa and everything and the burning, I mean, I would just get so inflamed And it was just a horrible, horrible feeling. And there were neighbors. I had neighbors who always seemed to miss school a couple of times a month. And I used to wonder why are they coming and you would hear somebody say, well, so-and-so didn't come to school. They're sick. They are always sick every month. That the reality hit me when I was thinking about the whole menstruation thing. Oh my gosh. They, had, they were on their menses, that's why they could not go to school and they could not afford soiling their clothes. So you might as well just stay home. So that was one of the biggest things that I just thought, this is ridiculous. I couldn't sleep. I, I had to start looking for solutions. That's the idea where, where it came to. I need to find a solution that will last longer. You know, waste management. Growing up, I know where I lived and how waste was really terrible. So hence the reason why I veered towards sustainable products. And, um, and then after starting the, the foundation, going to do distribution, some of the horrific stories I have come across that still causes me to say, okay, I need to do something. If we can, if we, a thousand more girls, 10,000 more girls, whoever, um, because kids are opting to uh, trade sex for pads because they really wanna go to school. What does that mean? If they end up pregnant, they drop out of school. They, you know, they end up with a teen pregnancy. It's poverty, getting more poverty. Just because of a small solution of a pad that this kid had to go and do the unthinkable. The men preying on them because if you're at home and there's nobody to watch over you, a man knows, oh, she's of age. There's no child's protective services. So, those kind of things have really pushed me every day when I wake up and thinking, how many more girls? How many more girls don't have to trade their bodies? How many more girls don't have to go through uh, violation because of just a pad? A simple solution.
0: You're very passionate about this subject, and understandably. And often people don't understand that if somebody's Kenyan, You know, you live in California, uh, Mm -hmm. but you're born in Kenya, you serve girls in Kenya, uh, Zanzibar, Malawi, Cameroon, and and in future you're looking at Zambia, Rwanda, and Ethiopia, I believe. Uh, We've
1: done Kenya, Uganda, uh, Uganda, South Africa, Malawi, Cameroon, and uh, Zanzibar.
0: Why did you move to the United States?
1: Well, I moved to the United States because I wanted to create a better opportunity for my daughters. I was a single mother of two and I was really young. I had my children at a very young age. And uh, some of the challenges that I faced when I was a little girl, I saw that the cycle was going to repeat itself. And I already had a job. I had a great job. I was an executive uh, administration administration, uh, secretary. And that was it. I knew the, that was this, the ceiling. I wasn't going to move anywhere further that way in the career, but then it was not even the career of my choice. I did that because I needed to have a job to provide for my kids. And, uh, being a young girl in Kenya in, um, in my, when I was 19, I was sexually violated. That's how I got pregnant the second time. And so, um, uh, I did not, and there was no justice for that, and I did not want my daughters to grow up in a in a society where nothing the, the, they are not protected by the government because of situations like that and it's sad to say that even today i will, it's still going on, and it's worse because i see I hear stories that I just um that will make your hairs in the next turn yesterday, I got a, a video over ten. Uh, this uh, member of parliament talking about what kind of a country have we become allowing people to have sex with 10 year olds. Now, if I was a teen and nothing was done and this is a 10 year old and people are being bribed to just go away, the case is, you know, done with. I didn't want my, my daughters to grow up under that. So that's what really caused me to think I need to figure out uh, where I can go, start afresh, reinvent myself and raise my children Provide a better opportunity, and it happened. I left Kenya with a an airline ticket and two hundred dollars in my wallet, and I was coming to <laughs> I was coming to America to you know uh, create a lifestyle. But God has been such a blessing to me because with less than two years they with they were with me. Now they're all adults; they're grown. They've you know they're on their own. They have their own jobs. One of them has made me grandma. I'm a grandmother of two. So the protection I wanted to see happened. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: Well, I'm, I'm sure you're adding a ton of value to where you live. And your daughters uh, are, are happy that you made a decision for you and them. And, you. and just from a clarity standpoint, before we get into some rapid fire questions, is when you brought your girls a couple years after, but they stayed with your family until they could come with you,
1: Yes, they were with my parents until they could come with me, be with me.
0: Yeah. See, as you probably know, in the West, we wouldn't, parents wouldn't keep them for two years. <laughs> <laughs> and that that is actually one of the biggest differences that I've seen in cultures yeah. is, you know, the family takes care of the family in and many yeah. of the african countries where in the west you take care of your own i take care of your
1: my own, own. <laughs> your your own and i never understood that concept of individualism until i get, came here back home no my my parents knew she's doing what's best for, for for us and you 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 still take care of i still take care of family even from here I'm the social security retirement for my mother. <laughs> so, and you have families who have need, you still take care of extended family. If you have an auntie and uncle who is in need, we're constantly thinking of how you can support family. It's never all about yourself. Even after having come here, I have a son who is 21, but I also have a niece who I, my bonus baby who adopted my brother's daughter, who is here with me, I brought, got her to come here raised her. Most people ask Americans, like, what? You did what? I said, it's family. That's what you do.
0: As you know, my book's inspired by pioneering African women like you, who have really, really embraced Ubuntu, I Am Because You Are, and the we philosophy. So you've impacted my life too. So I just want to say that we're going to have to uh, wrap up soon. So I'm just going to ask you a a few questions that if you can give me some short, sharp answers to the first (laughs) thing that comes to your mind. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So what is the one thing you wish you knew prior to engaging down this path of your nonprofit? The work, (laughs) the work. Worst piece of advice you ever received. Patience. Just be patient. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Pursue your passion. Which of your strengths do you rely on most to have the success or the impact that you have? My faith in God. Besides girls, which beneficiary do you think needs the most investment, time, research, or money? Women. Best business advice you've ever received? If you dream it.
1: They will come.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I sure hope so. <laughs> if your daughter was 10 years old today, mm-hmm. what advice would you give her?
1: Never shy away from speaking out on, in, on any injustice. What advice do you wish you received? I wish I was told that women can be leaders.
0: What three values do you live by? Love. Compassion and um subbing thank you for that
1: i'm going to say
0: a, i'm going to say a word in okay. the first word that comes to your mind okay all right empower women inclusive gender care giving courage faith contribute money consistent Patience. Conscious.
1: Integrity.
0: Collaborate. Community. And community was the last one, so we'll just say collaborate and call it a day. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to have you and our audience. You can subscribe to Wisdom Exchange TV so you receive each new interview notification in your inbox. Please share this interview by going to the share button located on the page. You can read, listen, or watch this interview. If you know someone who's had a significant social impact in business, education, civic service, or advocacy, let us know. Visit the guest tab on wisdomexchangetv.com and submit their information, and our research team will do the rest. Lastly, if you have contributed to the community or you want to celebrate someone else who has, visit Join the Movement tab on umiwe.ca, your Contribution Counts campaign. For every contribution listed, the Umiwe Social Impact Group will invest in a woman's education or business, moving her from poverty to prosperity. And I just want to go back to our our guest today. And do you have any words of wisdom that you would like to share with our audience regarding making a conscious contribution to society?
1: One of the best things I tell people is I never give it back. Because to give back you have to look back and who did you leave back? I believe in giving it forward today, gifting it forward today because Today is the day that you have. Tomorrow is not, it's just but a promise. So do what is necessary today to make an impact and a change in somebody's life.
0: Love that. Love that. And I'm not a fan of the give back either. So, love that. (laughs) Until next time, everyone, make your contribution count.
1: This episode is sponsored by Make Your Contribution Count. For you, me, we. A book written by Suzanne F. Stevens it's time to act. Let this book be your guide to having a sustainable social impact while living your most meaningful life. Thanks for listening.